And as soon as he said Buckeye six, he looked at me and he was just like, uh oh, I just used the commander's call sign on the radio. And I just smiled and put a thumbs up to him. And, uh, and the battalion moved, moved out and actually executed a, a pretty good flanking maneuver on the enemy. Colonel Matthew S. Woodruff. I'm from the Ohio Army National Guard. I'm the former commander of the 37th Infantry Brigade Combat Team. Uh, I took the 37th Infantry Brigade Combat Team through JRTC Rotation 21-08 in June of 2021. Uh, so in 2019, we executed a brigade warfighter exercise at Camp Atterbury, Indiana. From there, we continued preparations for our XETC exercise that was to take place in August of 2020. Uh, in March of 2020, uh, a lot of that got put on hold due to COVID-19. Uh, the 37th Infantry Brigade Combat Team became the JTF for the state of Ohio from the months of March of 2020 through uh, June of 2020. So we did about four months. We supported food banks, we supported prisons, we supported uh, Department of Aging, and many other things, medical immunizations, uh, and also COVID testing sites. And then we supported the uh, capital response in June of 2020, as well as January of 2021. We sent one battalion out of South Carolina in full, and we sent uh, two task force, about 210 personnel each from two of our Ohio battalions. Uh, for that response in January. And then uh, in August of 2020, our XETC uh, was canceled. And so we had to adapt fairly quickly. Uh, so we did, two battalions did basically like an XETC light, and then the rest of the brigade did a CPX and some of the individual battalions did some uh, collective training uh, and individual training to make sure we were as postured for success as we could be for JRTC. And then March, April, we had a extremely long supermuta, about a 10 day exercise uh, prior to going to the JRTC. CTC rotations, whether you're going to the JRTC or the NTC are critical for Guard Nation as a whole, as well as for individual brigade combat teams. It's the one opportunity that guard brigades have to get the breadth and depth of the organization, all warfighting functions and enablers synchronized uh, to be able to execute operations. And as we prepare for date, uh, training environments and division level uh, conflict, uh, this is the only way to fully prepare a brigade combat team for those uh, adversaries. So we did what every brigade commander that's preparing for a CTC rotation does and those that are getting ready to go are doing right now. So you develop your priorities based on lessons learned from previous rotations. And I could go through a lot of those from sensor to shooter, uh, getting that connection uh, so that you could have timely and accurate fires from the intel side of the house, the same thing, getting collections built to the brigade, uh, MICO and S2 shop uh, for sustainment, making sure that we have exercised sustainment fully from the BSA uh, through the CTCPs and FTCPs to the forward units that are out there and from a brigade perspective, ensuring uh, that we're one, updating and validating our SOPs, 
uh, and that we're uh, working through the MDMP process properly in a time constrained environment, uh, which at times we give ourselves more time than you're gonna get in that actual environment there. And then one thing I would say about that too is with all the chaos and uh, conflict that COVID caused over those two years, uh, we really refined down uh, those critical objectives that I wanted the brigade to achieve. And the first one of those was safety. And it was, there is nothing too important that we're doing there that we can't slow down and do it correctly to make sure that every soldier comes home because there's no training environment or training activity that we will do that's worth the life of a soldier. And then second was to be a learning organization. So everything we did uh, was ensuring that we have the right attitudes, we're listening, we're actively listening, we're taking feedback from our OCTs, from peers and from others and our subordinates. We're then incorporating those into improvements throughout the process and at least attempting to make those fixes in a timely manner. And then the final thing was to have a positive attitude. I often said to my brigade that your attitude's infectious. And so that can go negatively or it can go positively, but you're a positive reinforcing light to your soldiers uh, up and down the chain of command. And I think what we tended to do was I drove those three priorities home over and over and over again. And we saw during some of the AARs when the soldiers were interviewed, those are the three things they could remember and recite back to the uh, people that were questioning them about those priorities. Where we probably needed to get better was as we created mission orders for each um, operation that we uh, accomplished, uh, we did not do the same thing with repetition of that commander's guidance. So there were times that there would be struggles in remembering what exactly did the commander want because it wasn't said over and over and over again. So repetition is the key. I would say pick out a few things that you're gonna uh, reinforce and, and try to get across your formation and say those things over and over and over again. And then when you're going through your mission planning and developing your commander's guidance at Echelon, make sure that those same things get that emphasis over and over again so that the soldier at the lowest level knows exactly what you want them to do and why. And I would say you start with the LTP, that leader training program that you do. We did ours in December of 2020. One, the best uh, MDMP event I've ever done in my military career. The coaches, teams, trainers were all extremely professional and helpful. Um, and then taking all of that through the rotation. One of the things we developed in the 37th was a, a green tab leaders huddle rehearsal after we did MDMP. So typically you go through your your IC fires rehearsal, you'll go through your uh, combined arms rehearsal, your sustainment rehearsal. Well, we added a green tab rehearsal where all the battalion and squadron commander came uh, to one location. We stood on the terrain model as leaders and we discussed the uh, schema maneuver, how we were gonna do the concept of the operation. Uh, that was critical for us to uncover certain gaps in our plan at the brigade level. Uh, so being able to do that from a mission command systems perspective, uh, we struggle with the systems that we have because one, they're outdated. Two, they require patching and updating on a constant basis. And if you don't have the ability to keep those systems online, you're always fighting uh, those systems throughout the, the process. And when you're a multi-state brigade, like most are, uh, you're gonna fight uh, different battalions at different levels based on where they're at. So it takes a lot of continuous effort from your six shop and from 
FSRs prior to and then on site uh, from your six shops to try to get everything up operational and talking. Uh, and then utilizing everything at your exposure. So you've got your mission command systems, you also have analog and the ability to do those things, create products, get them disseminated down to the lowest level uh, are critical to keep success flowing uh, in a degraded environment or in a fully uh, capable environment. And then finally, I would say test all your systems. So every cub you do each evening, don't do them all on CPOF. Uh, use FM for some, bring everybody together. Uh, another success we had was on a daily basis, the battalion commanders and the squadron commander came to the brigade main and we had a huddle um, and then we pushed them back out. And, and I would say when available, that's a great TTP to be able to use to get that face time and that exposure with those commanders to ensure that everybody's on the same page with what you're doing. So as we were preparing, uh, when we found out that we were going to the Joint Readiness Training Center and I was going to be the commander for that rotation, initially, one of the things that ran through my mind was, well, this is going to be my fifth rotation at CTC, two of which at JRTC prior were as a company commander in the 101st. Uh, but I had not been a brigade commander, so personally, there was a little bit of uh, fear and a little bit of stress that was related to managing the entire breadth of the organization, all of those warfighting functions and enablers. And until you see your entire brigade and enablers laid out uh, on terrain, it's really hard to imagine and understand how big a BSA is and how big of a footprint your BEB has, and not even talking about your brigade headquarters alone. So how do we ensure that soldiers are doing the right thing, have the right attitude, that they're growing and they're trying to get better? And really, overall, that's the purpose of a CTC rotation is to ensure that soldiers grow, that units are getting better, and that every day from day one to day 14, uh, you saw growth and you see a professional organization at the end of the rotation. So I think the value of a CTC rotation when it comes to leader development, and I would say it's not just the CTC rotation. There's so many things that lead up to that rotation that are also value-added leader development tools that you can utilize between LTP, uh, utilizing the coaches that you'll meet at LTP beyond LTP, reaching out to your OCTs that are at the CTC. Uh, we were able to reach out to those in the months prior to our rotation and they willingly gave their time to do evening LDPs with uh, specific units or leaders or warfighting functions. And we would have two to three hour meetings about once a month with some of our OCTs that were stationed at the JRTC to help make us more aware and knowledgeable of what we were to expect, as well as to teach us techniques and uh, tactics that were successful for other units that went through those rotations. But the CTC itself, there's no greater opportunity to grow as a platoon leader, as a platoon sergeant, as a squad leader. It's, it's an incredible training environment. And you have to have your soldiers in a mindset that they're going to get better through all of this training, have great attitudes. Because if you can combine all of those things and have good attitudes and a willingness to learn, everyone's gonna grow, everyone's gonna get better. And the next time you execute your CTC rotation, those squad leaders are your first sergeants those company commanders or battalion commanders. So that growth and that knowledge and experience will come back to benefit the overall organization and the National Guard as a whole. A lot of the things I saw with OCTs are very different than what I experienced in my previous four rotations. 
So what I can tell you is, you know, anyone that's done a CTC rotation in the past, probably prior to the last four to five years, experienced the uh, less of the coach, more of the observer evaluator. Uh, they would sit around, they would write down things, and then they would crush you in an AAR. Uh, what I experienced from the OCTs at this point, uh, from this rotation, and I will say it goes back to LTP on, is there is a true uh, embracing of the observer coach and teach or trainer. So they took the opportunity and they would sit down, they would give you advice, they would talk to you about what you can do to be better. Uh, they would pat you on the back when you did some really great things. Um, and there was never a time that it was adversarial. Every one of them was a true professional uh, that was willing to give their time, like I said, even outside of the rotation uh, to provide professional development opportunities for any level of leader that wanted it. Uh, so probably two rotations uh, or two rotations in different years prior to our rotation, we sent packages of OCTs. So in two years worth of rotations, we sent approximately 75 to 100 uh, personnel from the brigade to be guest OCTs. Some of them went to NTC in one year and then another group went to the JRTC in the next year. The experience and the knowledge that they gained from just being OCTs, observing how units executed operations, understanding the planning process, and how the cycles of sleep and effort and all of that tied together, how to synchronize some of those warfighting functions, I think were absolutely critical to those individuals. And it's extremely challenging when you're trying to do your normal uh, AT periods prior to a rotation, as well as the, the, the burden uh, for lack of a better term, of an additional 30 days uh, at a CTC rotation as a guest OCT. But those that went and those that volunteered to go uh, were extremely uh, thankful for the opportunity and grew tremendously because of it. So as BCTs, we typically focus on the maneuver elements. We sometimes forget about all those other assets and capabilities that tie into the brigade to make them successful. So not just the field artillery, the um, the BSB, the BEB, the other enablers, the MP unit that gets attached to you, the uh, air defense battery, the uh, PSYOP civil affairs, uh, all of those assets that come together are critical uh, to ensure that your unit's successful. Um, I, you know, I'll just highlight a couple of areas that were really beneficial to us as an organization. When you take air defense uh, artillery, uh, which we don't have a lot of in the Ohio or in the National Guard as a whole, uh, and you bring that into a BCT that doesn't get the opportunity to train with them on a regular basis, it can be very difficult. Uh, our air defense battery that, that went to the JRTC with us, they integrated in very quickly. We disseminated them, uh, reorganized them throughout the brigade, and they were able to provide uh, critical support uh, when uh, eight attack aviation enemy air uh, was overhead. Uh, we were able to see the results of that with several kills uh, on aviation. And when you get to see a PFC that the first time they get to do something like that, they're so excited uh, when they shoot down one of those uh, hinds or hips. Uh, that's what the meaningful things are that you take out of those rotations. For our reserve counterparts and our civil affairs and PSYOPs teams, I can't say enough great things about what they did. Uh, the PSYOPs team in particular was tied to my hip most of the rotation. Uh, they escorted me uh, with, a, with another team into towns when we had to vi visit with provincial governors or mayors. 
uh, and they were a critical asset uh, to everything that we did. And then that civil affairs, just making sure that the climate across the uh, operating environment was positive toward uh, U.S. forces and that we we're able to accomplish our missions uh, with relative support of the population. I, I would say the most memorable and meaningful moment for me uh, coming out of JRTC 21-08 was the last day of our operation. Uh, we had just completed uh, the final uh, defense and I had a young specialist that, that came up to me and he was so excited and he said, sir, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. You know, I haven't even had a real drill weekend or ATs yet. Uh, he was cross-leveled into the brigade at the last moment. And uh, so it was pretty exciting to see how much he enjoyed what he did. Uh, the fire that was in his eye about that rotation uh, was just, those are the meaningful things when you see soldiers excited about what they're doing. Uh, and then one of the other more comical, enjoyable events, uh, we had a brand new RTO uh, at the brigade headquarters. And on day one, he was like a little flower that whenever anything got stressful, he just kind of wilted. And by the last night of operations, uh, he's listening to calls over the radio. He's uh, waiting for me to assist him and guidance to battalions. And at one point, uh, one of my battalions was in contact and we had another battalion that was uh, in close proximity that they could shift and assist. And without me giving him any guidance, this young specialist on the radio called a battalion commander and said, Viking 6, this is Buckeye 6. I need you to move south and assist uh, the uh, Cav Squadron. And as soon as he said Buckeye 6, he looked at me and he was just like, uh-oh, I just used the commander's call sign on the radio. And I just smiled and put a thumbs up to him. And uh, and the battalion moved, moved out and actually executed a, a pretty good flanking maneuver on the enemy. Yeah, so how did I prepare uh, our leaders for the high stress environment of a JRTC and a CTC rotation? Uh, one, I think through the training programs that we develop and placing them in situations where they're pushed beyond what they're normally used to, I think is critical. And I think the entirety of my command, I've always emphasized being a learning organization and trying to grow and get better every day and not crushing junior subordinate leaders for making mistakes, giving people the ability to take initiative, make decisions, and then learn from those decisions, whether good or bad. And then that positive attitude has been a reinforcement point for me uh, for the last uh, two plus years uh, to make sure that each soldier, each leader understands that the way that they lead uh, can be positive and effective, uh, that the purpose of them leading our nation's most critical asset is to be that positive, reinforcing, encouraging uh, person that helps them grow from one day to the next and push themselves past the limits of what they're normally used to. So I, th I think there were a couple big keys that we took out of our CTC rotation. So the ability to come together as a team, to, to bond, to grow, and it's 30 days approximately in an austere environment. We're all embracing the heat, the humidity, uh, the stress, the challenges of doing that. And from the first day on the ground to the last day before we left, the morale, the cohesiveness of the organization grew. Uh, so I would say that's one of the critical things that came out of it. 
I would also say that we were better on the last day than we were on the first. And we were better on that last day than we were two years ago when we started this journey. So the more time you can get into preparing for that rotation, the better off you'll be at the end. And if you keep focused on that daily continuous growth, every unit that goes through that will be successful. Uh, we were hit in a lot of areas during the rotation. I think some days it felt like every time you looked around, you were getting punched in the face. Uh, there are so many things that they throw at you simultaneously that at times it gets a little bit overwhelming. Uh, you could be in the middle of a battle losing you know, a company size element or platoons, and at the same time you're having uh, some rioters show up at a gate to one of your areas. You can have a chemical attack at another area. Uh, a cyber attack. We were had a cyber attack that occurred uh, while we were there, and in those things can be extremely uh, detrimental to your formation. Not just at the the signal, especially a cyber attack. When you get cyber cyber attack that happens, sometimes it uh, opens critical information to the enemy that they can then use against the troops that are out there. Not even using the systems that cost uh, you so much. So when they can steal your plans and they can steal graphics and they can steal things like that, uh, they can then use that to pre-position forces where you uh, are planning to attack. I would say one of the really good things that we did was we have never exercised a brigade level defense and the execution of our defensive belts uh, were very impressive. Uh, Geronimo was never able to penetrate the northern portion of our obstacle belt and our uh, forces that were in the north. And we delayed them for approximately seven hours coming through the Southern Pass through the use of fast cams, defensive obstacles, and the forces that we had arrayed. Uh, so there were some positive things, even if you're getting punched in the face and you may not win, uh, you're still growing and learning and integrating different capabilities across the battlefield. And when you find that you can actually integrate those fires with an obstacle plan, and the direct fire weapon systems as well, and effectively attrit and delay the enemy, I think that's when your organization start to gain confidence and grow as an organization. So I would say when it comes to learning lessons about how to effectively mobilize, deploy, execute, and redeploy from one of these operations, you know, the biggest key leading up to that's resourcing and sustainment. So if you're able to resource through uh, the National Guard Bureau providing funding, understanding that it's not just a brigade problem, that it is a state problem or a multi-state problem to be able to successfully execute those exercises. Uh, and then working with other states and getting best practices. We were very fortunate that we have a pretty close partnership with Third of the 101st. Uh, so we reached out to them, we got products from them about how they did their RSOI, how they deployed to the JRTC, and then how they redeployed. We also took examples from the 76th out of Indiana, the 33rd, um, and, and some of the other BCTs in the National Guard, and then blended them and spent a lot of time over the two years prior to our rotation at refining our plan to ensure that we would be successful at that RSOI portion. And I think one of the keys that we need to work on to get better as a Guard Nation is creating that mentorship program for past BCT commanders to work with uh, upcoming current and upcoming uh, brigade rotations to ensure that the information that I gained and that the 37th Infantry Brigade gained or the 39th or the 45th 
that went through these rotations that they're able to then pass that information on and whether that's through funding conferences or getting together as a team at IPCs to ensure that you're working together to make the next rotations more successful. So my, if I were gonna mentor a upcoming rotation, I would say start early, start detailed planning early, uh, draw a timeline with backward planning at different events and make sure logistically you start at least at the two year out mark that you're meeting with your teams, that you're contacting your enabler units, that you're contacting your reserve component counterparts, your CSSB, all of those echelon uh, division elements, the aviation task force, all of those things need to be contacted early and often. And you need to develop those relationships with them to make sure you're successful. I would also say, take care of your soldiers. So in everything you do, it won't mean a thing if all your soldiers aren't there to execute. So do everything you can to train them as well as you can leading up to the rotation and then take care of them uh, with that positive leadership that's encouraging and, and engaging uh, and, and developing the growth and leadership characteristics that you want out of your force. The way that we managed risk at our rotation was like I said, if you go back to that first um, critical uh, commander's intent that I had, which was safety. Uh, so a lot of our soldiers aren't familiar with driving in that terrain. They're not familiar with driving at night. They're not familiar with driving under night vision goggle conditions, uh, just walking in those conditions. So a couple of things that we did was we slowed down. So we spent a lot of time prior to the rotation focused on driver's training and night vision training. We did that during the RSOI period. Every night we practiced driver's training and night driving. And then once the rotation began, we encouraged soldiers to take it slow because when they get excited, if they get attacked, the, the tendency is to press down on the accelerator to get out of contact. At night, that's not always the best option because you don't know where the bends are. Uh, you're not as familiar as you should be. So slow down, take your time, make sure everything is being conducted safely. The other big risk that we uh, encountered at the JRTC was the heat. So in our first few days of uh, the rotation, we had a large number of heat casualties. We tried to mitigate that at the front end. And I would tell you that if I had it to do over again, I would have shut the PX down uh, from day one on, on base and the Pizza Hut. So the Pizza Hut at Fort Polk, if you didn't know, is the number one selling Pizza Hut in the entire state of Louisiana. Soldiers line up prior to a rotation, they're buying monsters and energy drinks and eating pizza and things like that. And we shut that down two days prior to going into the box. Uh, we had water, we had drip drop, we had all kinds of things to help. But when soldiers are constantly filling their bodies with, with things that don't help hydration, uh, it becomes a factor. Once we got through day two and those things weren't available anymore, we did see a lot of improvement in our heat casualty rates throughout the rotation. Uh, but those are the scary events that you have to take um, into consideration as you're managing that risk to say, you know, when is the right time to restrict what we're doing for the safety of the soldiers? And when is it tactical risk or is it risk to the, the force? So when you analyze those things, there are certain decisions you're gonna have to make of what's important versus what isn't. I don't believe we ever had a time when it was a tactical risk that we weren't willing to take. Um, we did shut down an air assault mission one night due to weather, um, but that wasn't really a hard decision to make either. So uh, I, I would say those are the three elements that, 
that really went into managing that risk. So the way that we prepared for RSOI was like I said before, uh, we contacted third of the 101st, which is one of our uh, partner brigades. We contacted several other states, Indiana, Illinois, um, and Florida, uh, drew some of their plans for how they conducted RSOI, and then we built a plan based off of the successes we saw from each of their plans. One of those keys is having state support. So you cannot do all this without your state support. And whether you're going to use a multi-state approach or just your home station state approach, uh, we use just the home station Ohio approach and having the right team on the ground to facilitate success uh, is critical. And then I would say from a brigade perspective, uh, we received a lot of accolades for our RSOI process, primarily because we assigned each node to a specific battalion and the battalion XO was in charge of that node. Uh, when we did our initial brief on-site at JRTC, which is at about day one and a half to two, uh, we had already downloaded the rail on-site, which was a record for JRTC. Uh, the COG, uh, the CG, uh, we're all extremely pleased with our performance through RSOI, and I would say it's critical. It's critical that you take that seriously, treat it like an operation, assign those tasks to those units, and let them execute. And then on the back end for the RSOI in the reverse, uh, you've got to allocate those resources to that process. There are a lot of distractors that happen after the rotation and a lot of your soldiers are gonna to wanna to go five different directions to go home. So you have to ensure that those soldiers that are allocated to those missions do not get disrupted and are able to go on those missions to complete the box clearance and all the different node operations. But what I would tell junior leaders about what they should be looking at when they're getting ready to go into a JRTC or an NTC rotation is have a positive attitude about what you're about to uh, undergo. It's difficult conditions. It will strengthen you, it'll sharpen you, it'll make you a better leader. If you go through the rotation with an attitude of I'm gonna get better every day and have fun. So I did two rotations as a company commander and I had a blast on both JRTC rotations. When you have an attitude that you can have fun and still work hard and still get better and grow as a team, bond as a command team or a platoon or a company, whatever echelon of leadership you're in, if you have the right attitude and the right drive to accomplish whatever mission it is, you'll see those instances where your soldiers have great attitudes, they're getting better, they're excited about what they're doing. I would never ask a leader or a soldier the first few days after rotation, what they thought of the rotation, because everybody's miserable and ready to go home. But I think if you ask soldiers months after the rotation, it's something they'll look back on and they'll say, I can't believe we accomplished that, especially in all the challenges that we endured over the last two years. So when you look at what you can accomplish, it may not seem uh, that great when you first start, and it's a little scary when you're going into it, uh, but that's okay. It's about learning, growing, and getting better. And if you have those attitudes and strive for that excellence, I think you'll have a lot of fun when you're there. Why would I recommend going to a CTC rotation over doing simply a home station, local training area, uh, annual training period? And I can say that there's a couple things that we just can't replicate at a home station training event, even an XCTC or a Northern Strike or anything like that. We do not have the ability to bring all of the enablers together and to exercise everything across the brigade. We don't have the ability to inject all of the critical items that stress uh, unit leadership, whatever level, uh, to the utmost to make them 
force them to move, to jump, to do the things that are required to do large-scale combat operations. And then finally, we cannot replicate the OP4 that's provided at those rotations. There is nothing better than going up against the world-class OP4, whether you're at NTC or JRTC. And our experience with Geronimo at JRTC was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the interaction, the feedback, the AARs, the hot washes that we get, and they're integrated into those, giving us tips on how we could do better from their perspective and things that we did that disrupted them and things that we could have done uh, to continue to exploit their uh, weaknesses as well. If you told me we were deploying within six months to maybe nine months of the rotation, we're absolutely better postured for that deployment having gone through a CTC rotation. The fact that our deployments about 15 months after the rotation, we will definitely see some degradation of the skills and training that we've uh, grown through that rotation. And also you're gonna have a lot of turnover in positions and personnel. Um, so my advice would be, how do we work with ForceCom and the National Guard Bureau to ensure that our rotations are aligned better uh, with when those uh, deployment cycles happen? The only other thing that I, I would touch on to make a unit more successful at a rotation is when you do that coordination with prior uh, BCTs that have went through these, uh, that have gone through these rotations, that we ensure that we're taking the products and applying them. So at the CTC uh, seminar at Fort Leavenworth, I provided several of the brigades going to JRTC with an RSOI checklist. We did not receive that until day one of RSOI. Uh, had we received that in the two years prior to, we could have implemented those tools through all of our training events leading up to the rotation. And it seems really simple uh, when you look at it, but when you start dissecting all of the equipment that you should bring to a rotation uh, and understand where that equipment is allocated, one example that really hit us at JRTC was you start briefing these slides to the COG and one category was water cans. And you start to look at one infantry battalion in particular, and then you would see Alpha Company has 60 water cans, and then you go to the next company and it has 10. And so that understanding of where all your equipment is, how to reallocate it to ensure everyone is postured for success. And then it also keys you in on what is the equipment that you need at a rotation. So if you don't bring all your chemical equipment, the testers, the protective equipment, if you don't bring all of your protection items, the shoot, move, communicate protection, if you don't follow that in your communication style, if you don't follow that to the T and bring everything at your disposal as a brigade, you'll find that it hurts you somewhere in uh, the box. So if you only have enough crews to bring five 50 cows, but you have six, and you leave the sixth one at home, when one breaks out of CTC rotation, you don't have that float to put in the formation. And so I would recommend that you bring everything that you have uh, make sure that you use everything you can, and that'll help you be more successful.